Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Sample Hour. I'm here live again at Permaculture Voices 3 in the, I think we're in the hotel bar area. Um, I had actually not heard of this gentleman before. I saw his name on the, I was on the plan and I was talking to Luke Callahan. He's like, I'm going to check out Dan. I'm like, yeah. And I saw what you were talking about yesterday with the seeds. And I like have this pepper project that I'm like, cause like I'm in the urban thing. So I'm trying to get creative with like how to effectively use my basement and like how to incorporate everything. And so we wanted to like seed exotic peppers and sell peppers. So I was like, you have your seed business. And I was like, well, I want to check this guy out. But, uh, Blown away by your both your talks. Um, his name is Dan Breeze Bra, and this farm is Turnisol. 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 Okay. And the seed company is called. It's also Turnisol. So Turnisol Turn- Cooperative Farm is the full name of the farm. Okay. I didn't know if you like done a separate. It's, it's still under the same uh, the same brand or the same name. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thanks for taking the time with me today. But uh, just like everybody else, wanted to, wanted to take time um, because unlike you know I I've largely followed. Curtis and JM and, and, but, and then like you're another small scale farm, but you don't do the exact same practices, but you guys are doing really well. Like you guys are killing it. Like all the Canadians here, (laughs) 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 all the Canadians seem to get small scale agriculture, but you know, I I think, you know, you know, you're in a partnership, you and your wife are doing this with, with three others, but you know, how, how did you guys, so, so when did you guys decide like we want to be farmers? Um, so I, I guess that's individual stories for everybody. Uh, myself, I um, I grew up sort of on the outskirts of, of of the city, not quite the countryside, but kind of the outs, outskirts. And we always had like a home garden that I hated working in, and um, <laughs> I never really thought about farming. Um, but I went to university in agriculture engineering with an interest in soil and water quality. Yeah, and um, I guess by default started taking farming courses. And in the summer, I started working on small organic farms uh, as, as labor, and uh, I loved the work. And um, and I guess there was a direct link from the kind of work I did, I did at Home Garden. I just didn't rep- realize it at yeah. the time. And uh, I started loving that work. And so I continued doing that when my degree was over. And um, – uh yeah, that's just how it happened. So you were you were working in the in the in the uh you're working in the small scale farms, but when did you and your partners kind of come together? Like had you had you guys met on farms or like the, the five of us um well four of us went to school together. Okay. And uh Emily and I met at an urban agricultural workshop and then uh and um and she wound up coming to the same campus eventually. So the five of us were studying together. Um, three of us were living together at one point with a few other people. And um, after our st- – like, so during school, you know, we worked on some of the same school projects. We're on like student councils. Yeah. And then um, during the summer, some of us worked on the same farms. Yeah. And um, eventually, you know, after four or five years of this kind of stuff, um, a few of us were ready to start our own operation and we, you know, we started talking together and, uh, and it, it happened. <laughs> so you guys are just like, all right, let's do this. We planned it. And then how did you go, how did you go about finding your land? Like what? Well, I guess, I guess that's a key part of the story. Initially, I was talking with another woman about starting a small garden based around seed production, but her boyfriend was from the States and she wound up moving to New Mexico and our operation didn't quite, didn't quite lead on. And, um, so, I was talking with Reed at the time, 
and um, who's one of my co-farmers now. And he was interested in jumping in on this project. And um, so we started talking about it. And then he had applied to work at another farm uh, that worked like a, like, a, like a big grain farm that makes a lot of their own machinery. And they told him that they weren't hiring in the short term, but um, um, but that they had a, like about they had a few acres uh, of land that they thought were very very fertile, and that they kind of were not not wasted, but it was overkill for what uh, grain needed. And they had a dream of having a young group, a group of young farmers take that over and start farming, in part to inspire their children and show them that you didn't have to be a grain farmer to stay on yeah. the farm. So I mean, so this family, they kind of, they kind of saw. Do you think they saw the direction grain farming was kind of taking them, and that they, maybe they didn't necessarily want that for their children, who maybe weren't interested in farming? So they're like, we want to find some young people to do it, and then they can see what they're doing. Well, so this this grain farm is a fifteen hundred acre farm that grows a lot of different cash crops, um, including they mill their own uh, sunflower oil. And they're actually quite successful. It's three brothers um, that, that run the business together. So they're quite successful. And since then, some of their kids have started to work with it. But when you have teenage kids at home, it's hard to attract them to, to do what your father yeah, or mother's yeah. doing. Yeah. And so it was just they wanted their kids to know that you could stay in the countryside. You could make a living. You could be happy. And it didn't have to be grain, though they were very happy to have their kids working grain. Okay. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. So do they? Um, so this. So they. They do they process their own sunflower oil too to run their like equipment off of or? Um, no, it's 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 like a a, a cooking oil or, a, okay. or eating oil. Okay. Yeah, they they predominantly grow like corn, soybeans, um, wheat, oats, um, and then a, a decent amount of of, uh, of sunflower seed, and. When we met them, they were already pressing their own sunflower oil, selling yeah. it as a product, which they still do. But in the in the last three or four years, they've also set up a mill. So they're milling their own flour and they're milling their own oats. And it's been a way that they're kind of diversifying the business so that it doesn't rely as much on an export market. Yeah. And um, it also can create more potential jobs for their kids down the line. That's pretty – That's pretty. yeah, that's pretty creative. Um, okay, so so now more about your farm because that is why I wanted to have you on. It's not to talk about your neighbors. But okay, so so when did you – So okay, okay, so you acquire this land and then what was the next step? Like you, you've been working on farms. How did, how did you go about choosing your crops? Choosing your strategy. I mean, I I just listened to your workshop today, which was great about crop planning. You have a book about it, so I'm sure in the process of before writing a book, you went through some very rigorous things to get to the point where you're like, you know what, man, I just learned a bunch here. Now let's write a book about it. So how? So what was the first step? Like in 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 what were maybe your first struggles? Well, um, so. We actually were pretty successful in our first year farming because we had a really good startup or a really good training before. So I worked for about five years on other farms, and including that, I was managing a farm for two years. And um, when I came in on that farm, I was asked to do the crop planning for the farm, and I didn't know how to do that. I was given some limited tools and a bit of direction, and um, I made something happen. And then the next year, I managed the same farm. And I refined it and got a lot better. And then I wound up working for another farm that was really tight. And I really spent a lot of time analyzing how their crop planning went. Yeah. And so when we started our farm, I had this experience that I was drawing on. And uh, and that kind of laid the foundation of a lot of our crop plan. Um, uh, and um, 
then also my co-farmer Fred had been managing another farm, so he had some experience too, and that kind of that built into there. And so we, when we started, we knew we wanted to run a CSA vegetable basket program, and um, we knew we wanted to run a farmer's market. And so we just – we basically grew the crops that the farmers we'd been working for grew. Mm-hmm. And, um, and the projections that we were doing were based on – you know, I had been selling up markets, so I had an idea what you can sell up markets. So I based projections on that. I also based projections on what a CSA share was looking like on the farms I'd worked on previously. And, um, and it worked out – really well and we grew a lot of vegetables and we had like we had 110 members in our first year at our CSA we went to two farmers markets uh we were selling at that point we were selling to a couple um restaurants and and stores um and um it just kind of fell into place like there wasn't there wasn't a huge preparation for the choosing of the crops it was just kind of a it was just really a a evolution from what I was doing on other farms and um yeah, and, and, and I mean one concrete decision we made is that we wanted this to be a profitable business, so we set it up to be that way. And um you know, we also invested in a bit of infrastructure, but um So did you of, did you guys take out a loan for the infrastructure or what did how no. did you guys So how did you guys take those steps? Because a lot of people recommend loans, other people say no, don't do that. Well, um we've been pretty debt averse for years, though we're on the verge of changing that. <laughs> uh, and, and, and now, I mean, we're in our 11th or 12th year, so we're at a point where we can see the long range. You know, yeah. We can see what's coming down. We've committed to it. In our early years, we didn't know if we'd still be together three or five years down the line. Yeah. And so debt just did not seem smart. Um, and the way we financed stuff initially is um, each of us put $2,000 in, so we had $10,000, and that was uh, kind of it's our – what's called the qualifying share for the co-op. So that's kind of our co-op membership. And <clears throat> so that helped with some of our expenses. And um, and our expenses were really low. Like we bought a rototiller. Um, so one of the, the co-op members had a van. So that was kind of lent to the well, – I guess it was sold to the farm, but the farm bought it over a period of time. And um, we bought a, we built a cold room. But like we, did, we were using one of our uh, – a farmer that we knew's greenhouse – so we didn't have to have our own greenhouse until the, the next fall. So that first season was fairly low tech. And yeah. um, and by the fall, we were doing well enough that we were able to afford um, better infrastructure. We also – in Quebec, um, we there's a, a grant program for, for people under 40 entering agriculture. And we were able to get $40,000 through that as a grant. So we were able to set up a greenhouse with that and purchase a tractor and uh, – um, and so that really helped. So for people getting started, I mean, be creative with with the way you set it up and, and look for other people you can lean on. But then also really look into grants is probably something you'd recommend. Um, if they're there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, because even something like I hadn't thought about you were saying in your in, in your talk earlier, like I, a walk-in cooler is something that's like, man, I, I know I have to have this. Because something you said, and I've been thinking that too, is – you know, the, the preparation for your vegetables is like something – if you had to get infrastructure, that's what you'd recommend for people. So like either a walk-in cooler, but then you said you could even kind of create your own with just building a simple room and an air, air conditioner and then like – a little the cool bot. Yeah, the cool bot. So yeah. – and that was something that I was like – it it really helped me out. So I, I think that uh, – I think that's great. Um, so, okay. So 
you're you guys are going along. You're you're very successful. Your first year, you're build. You're I'm, I'm guessing your CSA was getting um, progressively was getting larger every year. So when do you decide that you know we're gonna we're gonna write this book? Um, I had been thinking about it almost from the moment that I started crop planning. Uh, for this 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 farmer I was working for when she asked me to 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 to, to take on those tasks, and so I had begun to you know collect other farms' crop plans and began to really analyze them to see how they were working. There's also a, a grower named Dan Kaplan who had a series of spreadsheets that were circulating. Um, so I was very familiar with those, and so the idea was in my head, and then there was um. In 2006 or 2007, there was an organization in Canada called Canadian Organic Growers that had put out a call for proposals to write books, and they had the, they they had received funding from a from a from a, an organization to finance this project, and um, I pitched the idea to them for the crop planning book, and they really were not enthusiastic <laughs> about it, but because I was pretty insistent and they needed to have six books i think part of their their offering they decided to 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 go ahead with that one and um and i spoke with my co-farmers about it and um and fred specifically was very interested in participating with it so we started working on the pro like once we got the okay we started working on the project and uh and then so how did the process of you writing the book and doing all this analysis like how did that how did you take that back and improve your business from that result, or were you? Did you notice a difference in the, in your approach after writing the book? Like, did it help you kind of put more things in line? Um. Yes, ish. But I would say that I've taken crop planning really serious. So it's kind of the crop planning that we're doing on the farm helped refine the process that could of, create the book. Okay, and then working on the book refine the process that could work on the farm. Like yeah, yeah. it's kind of a, a, a positive feedback loop. Yeah. Um, and, and then and, it's a closed loop system, <laughs> closed loop system. Yeah. Getting out of control. Um, and it was, you know, we wrote a draft of the book and then we were kind of exhausted. And then we started doing workshops based on the, based on this draft. It wasn't published or anything. And through talking with a lot of farmers, we got a lot of feedback and got really psyched up. And then we went and did another draft, another two drafts that were much more solid. And then we published a book because it was kind of a tight, tight frame that it had to, a tight time frame that it had to be published in. I think it was like about a, a year and a half, like really from acceptance to publication. Um, and um, I've done a lot of workshops since then. And I think that um, so the writing helped solidify the concepts in my head, and also it helped us realize that the process that we were using had a lot of intuitive elements that could be broken down into concrete steps. Yeah. And once we had those steps down, it was much easier to to recognize them. Um, and I would say – so the book has been eight years since we've written it, and for, I don't know, three or four years after the book was written, our process, crop planning process, was kind of similar to what was that. What was happening, and in the last four years, it started to change quite a bit. It's still the same basic steps, but the some of the decision making we're doing, some of the tools we're using have changed. Yeah. And, um, and I hope to do another edition <laughs> yeah. that will be really solid. 
And then, and so is that because I, I believe you said the first day because you have a blog as well, and you said you're planning on taking those blog posts and putting them into a book. Well, um, so I do have a blog. Um, yeah. Uh, and I didn't know if that was going to be similar or if it, that's. Yeah. Well, so right now, one of the things that we're doing with with the crop planning is using a lot of pivot tables to to uh, which is an ex- which is in the spreadsheet feature um, to. To, I guess to 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 to, to handle information, um, and so I'm planning on getting writing a number of blog posts on the topic, and I have the first one kind of fleshed out, and so it would kind of be the first draft of a next draft of some of the crop yeah. planning stuff. But I do think if we were to write another book, it would probably be maybe twice the length of the current one, and um, uh. And have a lot more shades of gray in it. And, yeah, uh, because it, it's it it's it all depends on what you're just what we went over. Like it's going to depend on what your situation is, and you can't really have like a black and white. Yeah, it really depends on context. It really depends on situation. Yeah. And what's really exciting now versus when we were in 2008, start writing the book, or, or or when the book was published, is that there have been some small farms that have really come forward with. Solid systems that have been based on crop planning that are doing things which most growers thought were impossible. There's the Jean-Martin Fortier's book, and he's actually profiled in our crop planning book. Yeah. Um, and there's so he's doing an acre and a half, fairly small, and he's doing it really well. Curtis Stone's work. Um, these these the, these these um, examples really prove the value of crop planning. Yeah, and they prove that you can go fairly small. And then there's growers who are doing it on a much larger scale. So. I think that um, when we first wrote the book, it was very hard to find a lot of growers who had really rigorous systems for us to profile and us to be inspired by. We found some, but now I think there's a lot more rigorous crop planners. And part of it is also a consequence of this book existing. People have taken it. They've went through it. Um, I'm sure some are using it as it's written, but I'm sure a ton have adapted it to their own methods yeah. and um, and are having really amazing results. So, um, yeah, so it's it's ready for next iteration. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, so, so moving forward then, because when did you – because I guess someone on your farm, like at what point do you look to, to diversify to add an additional business? Because you, like we, I said earlier – you have a seed business, so at what point do you look and say, "Okay, how can we produce more money on the farm, or how can we try to do this on the farm?" Um, what what kind of was the uh, the driving factor of that? I guess is what I'm trying to say. The diversification, like into yeah, a seed yeah. business. Yeah, and how did you know this was the right time to do it? Um, one of the things about being five people running a farm business together is that you have five people who like different stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and um, we all agreed that we wanted to you know, make a living farming, and we all had vegetables as our first choice, our, our main crop. But like, I loved seeds. And um, so even from a first year, I, um, I had, I had a, the friend who I talked – Tanya, who um, I was talking about maybe going to business with her, she had been growing about an eighth of an acre with seed crops on it. And um, selling them to seed companies. And I was really impressed with that. And at that time, she was making something like $3,000 off of an eighth of an acre, which looked like great money. And, yeah, now, and yeah. now it's like twenty four. you look at it, it's $24,000. And so many people are doing much better than that. But um, but it really highlighted to me that it, that it was possible. And I was excited by that. So 
Um, when we started our farm, I approached a few seed companies, and two of them offered to to buy seed from from me. If if I like, they offered, they gave me the seed to grow out, and then they gave me a price and a quantity, and then uh, I grew the seed out to them and sold it to them. And so, from in our first year, we probably sold like five or six hundred dollars of seed, and we were growing some of our own seed for our own use and for fun. And by the third year, I think we had quite a bit of seed. That we, more than we could use, so I started selling some of that seed that we were growing for ourselves to a couple of companies, and then we started going to these seed fairs to sell. You know, we had twenty varieties, I think, in little packets, and and so it just kind of took off. Um, you know, maybe like six hundred bucks the first year. You know, like fifteen hundred bucks the next year, two three thousand the, the year after, and somewhere, um, I guess about five or six years into it, we set up a website with an online store. And it kind of things just have been really taken off since then. And so I suspected seeds were profitable and they are profitable. But what what made me do it is because I loved it. Yeah, yeah. And because it was profitable, my co-farmers were willing to let me continue doing it in an expanding way. You know, if it, if it was really sucking energy and resources from the farm, there probably would have been more pushback and it would have limited the amount that, that we did. Yeah. Um, and, and so we, like we also grow cut flowers and that's something that we were expanding for a while. But at one point we made a decision to not do weddings or events. So we kind of kept it at a certain level. Um, we also sell like garden plants, like seedlings and um, that kind of grew, and there's there's a lot of potential with that, but we've kind of chosen to, to to cap it because we have a limited greenhouse infrastructure that, you know, we if we're going to jump into that more, it takes a little bit more investment. So there's a few places on our farm that we can see there's potential to grow, but the vegetable business is doing very well, and yeah. um, uh, you kind of have to you have to know why you're doing something. Yeah, and then when did you? Because um, we were talking earlier, because now you're. And that's something too, and I could tell just from you know your your first your first uh, speech about seed and going into the different kinds of of cucumber and squash and everything else like that, the different strains, and it was really interesting. And then um, your second talk today, you know, I asked you, you know, what what crop have you chosen to to kind of to change up and, and get in the market of, and you said garlic. And so when did you guys decide to go after the garlic? And when did you decide to really – because how many different kinds of garlic do you guys grow now? So we grow about a dozen uh, types of garlic. And gar- you know, when I started working on small farms, at that point I was vegetarian. I was really into eating you know, sort of whole foods. Yeah. Um, I mostly am that way too but not so vegetarian. <laughs> Surviving on burgers for this last weekend of the curve the conference. Yeah. But um but so as as a young as a young man I took it pretty seriously and I loved eating organic food but when I the, the second farm I worked on um was the first farm that I saw organ a garlic being grown in North America. Yeah. Um, I'd always just bought it at the grocery store and I liked it. Um but it's when I saw it I was kind of blown away by the way it looked. And when I first cut into a clove, it was juicy like an apple and there was just so much flavor and so much smell and it was so intense and like, it's like I fell in love. Yeah. And um, uh, it, it, was like, it, was, it was like a totally different vegetable than garlic you get in the grocery store that's coming yeah. from elsewhere. And, um, and as such, I got really, got really excited about it. And um, a fortuitous thing happened that – a friend of mine was working on another farm nearby, 
uh, came to visit and he told me there was a garlic festival happening and he was going to go buy it. So I went to the garlic festival and I discovered that there were tons of different types of garlic. And um, so I got a couple different varieties. I don't even know if I did that at that point, but I learned there's different types of garlic and I learned about garlic's reproductive cycle, how there's no true flowers on most garlic. Mm-hmm. I was propagated by bulbils and it just, it was so different from all other crops that it fascinated me. And um, so I just started to develop a relationship with it, started to grow it in my backyard, and then um, started to get other varieties from other people, including my grandmother, who had a garlic that that I didn't really realize until that's, uh, that's that awesome. Point. And um, and then our the crop it just started to get too big for me to handle, or too big for me to handle. Well, it's, it's, it it got big enough that when we started our farm. I had about 100 pounds of garlic seed at that point. So it was half of our garlic uh, stock for the first year came from my personal production. And the other half we got from another, from another grower. And at that point, we already had like seven or eight veg, uh, varieties. Um, and um, so we just started to grow them out. We were reliant on the ones that were the most successful, you know, the ones that everybody was growing. And I was, you know, we had like, I don't know, 6,000 plants of one type and then like 500 of like six others together. And over the years, we've learned how to grow all the types of garlic really successful, so successfully. And um, uh, it's just been really exciting to see the different flavors. And then somewhere in – how long ago? Probably in our second or third year, we approached our farmer's market to, uh, to have a garlic festival. And they agreed. And there was – you know, it was a very small thing. Um, there was like three of maybe three vendors from the market already who just brought a lot of garlic that weekend, and we were sold out by one. You know, we had got a couple of articles in the newspaper before it ha- happened, so we were sold out by one p.m. and it was really exciting. So the next year we brought more garlic, and and um, probably by the third year we started inviting more people. At this point, this is the tenth year this summer of that garlic festival in Saint Anne de Bellevue, Quebec. <laughs> and, <laughs> That's um, awesome. And we have like fifteen garlic growers there, and um, we have. You know, a series of workshops. We have a garlic dessert competition. We have a garlic tasting, both ro- roasted and raw garlic. Um, we have all, you know, it's it's just gotten really exciting. And and at the the center of this was just this interest in growing garlic at different varieties, and um, uh, and then other people getting on board. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, so, what's your favorite dish? Your favorite garlic dish. Well, I think that's a trick question because I think all dishes <laughs> should, should, have have a, should have garlic in them. I agree. Them. I put garlic <laughs> so. in like everything. I did um, – my cousin did show me this technique to where you're going to – before you like grind garlic or anything instead of having to peel it. Apparently, you put it in like a jar or something and you shake it around. It will automatically let the peeling come off. Hmm. I don't know if that damages the garlic. I don't think it does. It, it does. It, does. it doesn't matter. It's, yeah. one, of the, one of the things with garlic is it has to be um, – uh, to be crushed for the allicin, yeah. which is the active ingredient, to start happening. So maybe some of that tumbling gets the, the process gets started. It started. Yeah. yeah, and maybe that's why the skin actually comes off really easy. So then when you pull it out, the skin's pretty much gone, and you don't have to. I just take like a little mason jar, yeah, and I'll put it in, and I'll just shake it up, and then I'll uh, grind it up with some peppers or something like that, and I'll cook it, cook my meat in it, or uh, if I'm making a, a salad dressing. I put it in with like the egg and the oil and the yeah. the salt. Like I use garlic and everything. Like <laughs> we, it's it's the it's the best and it's so good for you too. We probably eat 
upwards of 100 pounds of garlic a year. You know, like, awesome. it's, it's ridiculous how much garlic we you eat. You probably have the healthiest cholesterol with all that garlic. <laughs> I, I would hope so. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, well, anyways, you know, let's, we could wrap it up here. We, we said we'd go for about 30 minutes. Um, what's, uh, so what's a good way for people to follow you, reach out to you and where, you know, f- read your blog or subscribe to your blog and, um, all that fun stuff. So, um, the best way, I guess the easiest way would be to go to my blog, which is uh, going to see.wordpress.com. So going to see it in one word. Yeah. Wordpress.com. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and um, and uh, so, I mean, they could read what I've been writing there. There's also links if they want to contact me directly. And then there's links to our website uh, for the farm if they're interested in seeds and that kind of stuff happening there. So that's probably the best bet. Okay. Awesome. Well, Dan, thank you so much. It was a pleasure linking with you. I was... Uh Maybe in the future we can have a sci-fi podcast because <laughs> Dan and I have been actually talking a lot more than just about farming. We've been talking a lot about Star Wars and Philip K. Dick and comic books and everything. Man, it's been fun. <laughs> so, the secret is out. <laughs> the secret is out. Yeah. So, uh, well, anyways, guys, thanks again for listening and uh, looking forward to bringing you guys more content again soon.
Southern California ever. Will a motherfucker make me eat my words, nigga? Never. Old school, new school, niggas need to die slow. Throwing up my hood high in the car that ride low. I trample samples like lungs to a camel. I black out on niggas just to make that example, but I. But I don't set those, I set trends though When niggas thought the Southern Cali was all fucking endo I was right my name with a scribe Inside of a bus window Got a nine to five to survive But I couldn't make the rent though I was broke like Mr. Window Less paper than a Kindle I watched the crib nigga with some five percent info But, but, back to the beat I rap for the street For dudes that spray paint and write raps on concrete I mastered defeat And I conquered all my failures Get respect to spend my checks on some Dodgers memorabilia Yeah 